the charges against Donald Trump will not stand. I'll tell you why on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and the Deep State and lets you into the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 367 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Thursday, April 6, 2023. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid of the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, Go to our website, docwashburn.com. Click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland, which drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Okay. We're going to take a look at the coverage of the Alvin Bragg indictment of Donald Trump, and there has been a lot of coverage. And by the time we're through with this episode of the Doc Washburn Show, I think you're going to understand why I'm telling you that the charges will be dropped. But first, I'm going to do something I don't think we've ever done in the previous 366 episodes of the Doc Washburn Show, and that is to play, to give you the tweet of the day, which, of course, is brought to you by Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. But the reason, the reason I'm giving you the tweet of the day today at the start of the show instead of the end of the show is that as important as today's topic is, the topic on this tweet of the day is even more important. The great Joel Berry, managing editor of the premier satire website in America, the Babylon Bee, has a 37-second clip from Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, the Sunday after the terrorist attack 
that killed three adults and three children. And he says, you could give trans people all the affirmation on earth and they will still never achieve peace like this. Amen and amen. And thank you again to our friend Mitch Ward, Red River Auto, for sponsoring the tweet of the day. Now, I want to take a look at what the great Mike Davis said. Now, Mike Davis is the founder and president of the Article 3 Project. And he was on with uh, with Bannon over on War Room talking about one of the things that must happen, one of the things it's time for Congress to step up. But he was a lot more specific than that. They know that this is a grave mistake that these Democrats have made in their wall. What needs to happen immediately? People need to rally behind President Trump strongly. This is so much bigger than Donald Trump. This is so much bigger than a presidential race. This is about our country. This is about a republic. Democrats uh, are trying to take us over a cliff, and we have to rally behind President Trump, and that is important. All factions of the Republican Party, independents, right-thinking Democrats. But what the, the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan could be doing right now is issuing subpoenas right now for uh, Alvin Bragg and his communications uh, with Matthew Colangelo. Matthew Colangelo is the Biden Justice Department political appointee who Bragg colluded with and then recruited into Bragg's office. So Jim Jordan should issue subpoenas for those communications between Bragg and Colangelo and the Biden Justice Department. But So the Manhattan DA's office and the Biden Justice Department and then uh, Send up committee investigators to New York City immediately for staff depositions of Bragg and Colangelo so they can't cry and say that they're being dragged down to D.C. and distracted from the work. Send investigators up there. Get staff depositions. It is very clear that that Bragg has colluded with the Biden Justice Department. That Biden sent in his hitman, this Matthew Colangelo, to take out Trump. Wow. That's that's pretty strong, Counselor. Now, speaking of this Matthew Colangelo, I got some stuff on him. I got the goods on Matthew Colangelo, the hitman from the Biden Justice Department. Now, there's a guy named Garrett Ziegler. And he's a young man who works in the Trump administration. Online, he goes by Marco Polo USA. 
He's a guy that has put together the uh, 644-page report on the Hunter Biden laptop. But he also has a Substack. And over at Substack, on April 4th, Garrett Ziegler, as Marco Polo, has the article, The Legal Closer from the DOJ Bullpen, subtitle, Matt Colangelo channeled his inner Lavrenti Beria. Okay, how many of you know who Lavrenti Beria is? I want to I see a show of hands. Now he says, to put it simply, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg showed his prosecutor, Matt Colangelo, the man, Donald J. Trump, and Colangelo showed Bragg the crime. In other words, created a crime. You show me the man, I'll show you the crime. That's what Beria said. He was the head of the secret police under Stalin in the old Soviet Union. I'm, I'm sure Marco Polo is going to say that sooner or later in this article, but I just, I just had to say it. So it would make some kind of sense for people who are going, okay, what are you saying? I mean, a lot of people got it, but some people get things, some people don't. You have to explain. Anyway, Colangelo was called in from Merrick Garland's DOJ to lead the prosecution against Trump. Even the New York Times understood his role and was completely upfront about it. And so he has a screenshot of the headline from the story from the New York Times. Manhattan DA hires ex-justice official to help lead Trump inquiry, subtitled the official Matthew Colangelo, also worked on the New York Attorney General's investigation of the former president. And that is Jonah Bromwich, New York Times, from December 5th, 2022. Garrett Ziegler, as Marco Polo says, Today, Colangelo delivered for his superiors and got a good seat in the house to take it in. Here, and he's got a picture in the courtroom. Here is Colangelo at the prosecutor's table, fittingly on the far left. A word about this piece's subtitle. Michael Henry wrote the following in the Oxford Eagle. Lavrenti Beria, the most ruthless and longest-serving secret police chief and Joseph Stalin's reign of terror in Russia and Eastern Europe, bragged that he could prove criminal conduct on anyone, even the innocent. He said, show me the man, and I'll show you the crime. That was Berea's infamous boast. He served as deputy premier, From 1941 until Stalin's death in 1953, supervising the expansion of the gulags and other secret detention facilities for political prisoners. Beria targeted the man first, then proceeded to find or fabricate a crime. Beria's modus operandi was to presume the man guilty and fill in the blanks later. By contrast, under the United States Constitution, 
there's a presumption of innocence that emanates from the Fifth, Sixth, and Fourteenth Amendments as set forth in Coffin versus U.S., a U.S. Supreme Court case going all the way back to 1895. And he's got a picture of Lavrenti Berea with Joseph Stalin. Okay, a quick primer on Matthew Byron Colangelo, Matt Colangelo. And he's got his date of birth, he's got his education, his work history, even his number on the New York State Bar, his work email, who he's married to, etc., etc. He says, we'll have more on the other apparatchik from Bragg's office, Meg Rice and her husband, Simon Freakley, in short order. Wow. Show me the man. I'll show you the crime. Now, he's got a link to one of his own tweets, Marco Polo, saying, Bragg is just the portly minority frontman for Soros who will sign on the dotted line so long as his picture is on the front page of the New York Times. The two people who are overseeing the day-to-day of the charade are former Justice Department gopher Matt Colangelo and Meg Rice, who deleted her account within the last couple of days. That's fascinating. So, Meg Rice and her husband, Simon Freakley. And then he links to uh, Simon Freakley's LinkedIn account. He's CEO at something called Alex Partners, A-L-I-X. I don't know. I don't know. But this... Uh, Garrett Siegler, this Marco Polo guy, he's really sharp. And if you have not read yet the report on Hunter Biden's laptop that he put together, it is documented evidence of hundreds of crimes that were committed by Hunter and others. And it should be open season for some prosecutors who actually want to see justice done. All right. Let me give you some more audio. Andy McCarthy. Andrew C. McCarthy, former deputy U.S. attorney, Southern District of New York back in the 90s, who had the unenviable task of prosecuting the blind sheikh, Abdul Rahman, and his Mary Band of Jihadists that tried to blow up the World Trade Center in 1993. Andy McCarthy, who uh, wrote a couple of books years ago that were good enough that Rush Limbaugh actually interviewed him. And Rush hardly ever interviewed anybody. Now, Andy McCarthy these days is um, really not a big fan of Donald J. Trump. However... As you just heard Mike Davis say, this is so much bigger than Trump. Trump realizes that. A lot of people realize that. Um, people as unfan-like as Jeb Bush 
have come out and condemned what Alvin Bragg and company are doing. Horrible miscarriage of justice. That's how deep this thing is. Anyway, so when the indictment came out Tuesday, one of the first thing things that I heard reporters saying on Fox News was there's some confusion about um, vagueness, lack of specificity. And Andy McCarthy is a regular guest in the daytime on Fox News giving commentary on the straight news programs. And I just knew, I just knew that he was going to say something about that. And he did not disappoint me. So here is Andy McCarthy on with Neil Cavuto Tuesday afternoon, April 4th, 2023. Neil, if the judge does his job right here, the case should be dismissed and it actually should be dismissed quickly. Uh, I agree with what my friends have said, but I, I think this is actually worse than what we anticipated because what we anticipated was that they were trying to bootstrap a misdemeanor, which, by the way, they'd have a good deal of difficulty proving if it was just a misdemeanor. But they need to show that he concealed another crime in supposedly falsifying the business records. And what we've thought up until now is that they were he was going to use that as an avenue to enforce federal campaign finance law. Now, maybe that's what he's planning to do, but he's got to tell us what he's planning to do and more importantly, he's got to tell Donald Trump. So I think this indictment, even before you get to the statute of limitations and whether he's got jurisdiction to enforce federal law, I would dismiss it on its face because it fails to state a crime. <laughs> Here, it fails to state a crime 34 times. Um, it, it, it is the function of an indictment in the criminal justice system to do two things. It has to put a defendant on notice of exactly what he's being charged with, which is to say which crimes he's being accused of committing, and it then gives the defendant, this is the second part, a vehicle so if he's ever charged with that again, he can use the first indictment to plead double jeopardy. So in order to make that work, you have to tell the defendant what it is that you're, you're accusing him of. And if an essential element of the offense is that You have to prove as the prosecutor beyond a reasonable doubt that he was trying to conceal another crime. You have to tell the defendant what the other crime is that he has that he supposedly is concealing this indictment fails to do that so this isn't like they made a minor mistake or they have a like a typographical error about a date or something this is the heart of the case it's not a felony unless he was trying to conceal another crime and if you don't tell him what the crime is how does that put him on notice and allow him to prepare his defense okay this is andrew c mccarthy over the national review I think he's a good man. We disagree on a lot of things. He's certainly no fan of Donald J. Trump, but he's like, hey, guys, what is this? What is this? The judge should just throw it out, okay? I'm just letting you know where he's coming from, you know, normally. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, we got another clip. From Andy McCarthy. 
which will be coming up momentarily. And, 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 and there's so much more. There's so much more. By the time we're through here today, I think you will see why these charges against Donald Trump will have to be thrown out because Andy McCarthy is by no means the only legal expert insisting that the charges will have to be thrown out. And um, his theory on why the charges will have to be thrown out is by no means the only one out there. Okay? So the next clip with Andy McCarthy is coming up, and we have a whole lot more people who really want to weigh in on this. Some some other really, really sharp legal minds. And that's call, all coming up as the Doc Washburn Show continues. Now, if you have tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time trying to find what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to. You buy it online. They'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online. If you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental U.S., RedRiverAuto.com. You will be glad you did. Now, I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines. Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you don't live in Arkansas, for that matter. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column could get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life, had bad migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and it has never come back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, do yourself a favor. 
Call my friends at the Arkansas Preservical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me, they've helped my wife, they've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. Now, as you probably know by now, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. And he's done it again. Introducing MyPillow 2.0. MyPillow 2.0 has a brand new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0's new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. You know your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface. It's engineered for comfort. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels. It's machine washable and dryable. And there's a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Now, as a special introductory offer for my listeners, when you buy your new MyPillow 2.0, you get a second one free just by using promo code DWS. Mike also created the best bed sheets ever. His new Giza Dreams sheets look great. They feel great which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. My, lo- my wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dreams sheets. Now, Mike is offering the best deal on his Giza Dreams sheets. Buy a set of Giza sheets, get one free. The first night you sleep on these sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. Buy a set of Giza Dreams sheets and get one free just by using promo code DWS. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer. Get huge discounts on blankets, duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Use that promo code DWS, and you'll get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding, including MyPillow 2.0 and Giza Dream Sheets. Buy one, get one free. Now, I'm wearing my new my, my Slippers moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, save on my slippers, slip-ons and moccasins, close-out sale price of just $25 by using promo code DWS. Not only that, Mike is having the biggest closeout sale ever on his sandals for just $19.98. What makes my slippers different is Mike's exclusive four-layer design that you're not going to find in any other slippers. My slippers, patented layers, make them ultra-comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere. Just use promo code DWS. Now remember, that promo code does not stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, 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 no. DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com and MyStore.com, where Mike sells all kinds of stuff. Quantities are extremely limited, 
at these amazing prices. So please order now. Just use promo code DWS. All right, let's go back to Andy McCarthy with Neil Cavuto on Tuesday afternoon and an immediate reaction to this fraud, this sham indictment by, what are they calling Alvin Bragg, Fat Alvin? Here we go. Well, I I think it's a catastrophe if you look at it as a criminal justice matter. Uh, I frankly don't. I think the problem here is that we're looking at Bragg nominally. He is the district attorney. But in point of fact, he's an elected progressive Democrat who ran on a camp, who ran on a platform of getting this one guy as if he's like Leventi Berry and it's you show me the man. I'll I'll show you the crime. I mean, that's what that's what this (laughs) smacks of. And it's not only that legally it doesn't stand up in the sense that he doesn't even plead an actual crime here, even though he says he's pleading 34 crimes. The story is incoherent because what he says in the factual description is that by doing these things, what Trump did was basically defraud the public into electing him in 2016. In point of fact... If Trump had assumed that these hush money arrangements were, in fact, campaign finance, uh, campaign uh, donations, that they were in-kind campaign uh, expenditures, if that had actually happened, and he said to his people, I think we need to be careful here to compl- comply with the campaign finance laws, these arrangements were cut or made days before the 2016 election, which means under the federal campaign laws, he wouldn't have had to disclose until months to 2017. So even if he had treated these things like campaign finance violations, the election would have been long over by the time they'd been disclosed. So after I saw Andy McCarthy talking about this stuff on Fox News, I uh, I sent him a DM on Twitter. That's kind of like a, a, a private message on Facebook, but they call it a DM instead of a PM on Twitter. And I said, hey, Great job on Fox today, you know, telling how substandard this so-called indictment is. I said, I can't wait to read your article on it. Well, I don't know if you saw my DM or not because he's he stays pretty busy. I didn't get a response, but I sure did get the article. This dropped at about 10 o'clock. Tuesday night, Andrew C. McCarthy over National Review, the title of the article, Bragg's, quote, indictment, unquote, even fails as an indictment. And he says, what a disgrace. It's always possible to be surprised. The indictment brought by Manhattan's elected Democrat District Attorney Alvin Bragg against Donald Trump is even worse than I'd, admit, than I'd imagined. Bragg's indictment fails to state a crime. Not once, but 34 times. On that ground alone, the case should be dismissed. Before one ever gets to the facts that the statute of limitations has lapsed and that Bragg has no jurisdiction to enforce federal law, if that's what he's trying to do, which remains murky. Bragg's indictment charges 34 counts, just as we said it would, based on media reporting 
They clearly came from illegal leaks of grand jury information, a crime, you can be sure, that goes in the overflowing bucket of serious offenses that Bragg refuses to prosecute. The 34 counts are arrived at by taking what is a single course of conduct and absurdly slicing it into parts, each one of which is charged as a separate felony carrying its own potential four-year prison term. Trump reimbursed Michael Cohen in monthly installments during 2017 for the $130,000 paid to porn star Stormy Daniels right before the 2016 election for her silence about an alleged affair. That, in reality, is a single transaction, Trump paying back a debt to Cohen. Yet because Trump paid in installments, and each installment includes an invoice from Cohen, a bookkeeping entry by the Trump Organization, and a payment to Cohen by check, Bragg not only charges each monthly installment separately, he subdivides the installments into installments, as if the invoice, book entry, and check were independent criminal events. Voila, one transaction becomes 34 felonies. McCarthy says, as I observed a few days ago, this is exactly the sort of abusive behavior that rogue prosecutors engage in, and thus that the Justice Department admonishes federal prosecutors to avoid. Here, from the Manhattan DA's office, that the legendary lawman Robert Morgenthau led for 30 years, for 34 years, no less, we now have as egregious an example of this low tactic as one can find. In a real prosecutor's office, the district attorney is the adult who makes sure his inexperienced young subordinates don't abuse their enormous power this way. In the Manhattan DA's office, Bragg is the exemplar of abuse. The tactics only further demonstrate the shoddiness of the case. A prosecutor holding a weak hand tries to hoodwink the jury into believing the defendant must be an incorrigible criminal, despite the lack of evidence, hence the dozens of counts. A prosecutor holding a weak hand also hedges his bets in this way. The jury may flush most of the indictment down the drain, but the unscrupulous prosecutor knows if he can secure a single guilty verdict, even with 33 acquittals, he has achieved his objective of branding his target a felon. The worst due process abuse of Bragg's indictment, however, is that it's not an indictment. The Constitution's Fifth Amendment guarantees that Americans may not be accused of a serious crime, essentially a felony, absent an indictment approved by a grand jury. The indictment has two purposes. First, it must put the defendant on notice of exactly what crime has been charged so that he may prepare his defense. Second, the indictment sets the parameters for the defendant's closely related right to double jeopardy protection also set forth in the Fifth Amendment. That is, by stating the crime charged, the indictment enables 
the defendant to claim a double jeopardy violation if the prosecutor attempts to try him a second time on the same offense. Here, the indictment fails to say what the crime is. Bragg says he is charging Trump with felony falsification of records. Under Section 175.10 of New York's Penal Code. To establish that offense, Bragg must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Trump caused a false entry to be, to be made in his business records and did so with an intent to defraud that specifically included trying to commit another crime or aid or conceal the commission of that other crime. The problem? Nowhere in the indictment does the grand jury specify what other crime Trump fraudulently fraudulently endeavored to commit or conceal by falsifying his records? That is an inexcusable failure of notice. The indictment fails to alert Trump of what laws he has violated, much less how he violated them. If any prosecutor were ever daft enough in the future to accuse Trump of falsifying records to conceal, say, a federal campaign finance crime, Bragg's indictment would be useless for double jeopardy purposes because it doesn't specify what criminal jeopardy Trump is in. We needn't speculate why Bragg is being so coy about this. He doesn't have another crime. At his press conference, he blathered about federal campaign finance law, but he knows he lacks jurisdiction to enforce federal law. He further mumbled something about state election laws, but those, as you might imagine, apply to elections for state office, not the presidency. And the DA's stream of consciousness about Trump's intent to defraud tax authorities is belied by the fact that he does not accuse Trump of evading taxes despite having already prosecuted the Trump Organization for Tax Evasion, a case that neither named Trump as a defendant nor cited the hush money scheme as a source of tax crimes. Here's the thing, though. Prosecutors don't get to be coy with a grand jury. The district attorney is the grand jury's legal advisor in the indictment process. Consequently, he has the duty to instruct the grand jury on the law applicable to the charges proposed. So what crime did Bragg's office instruct the grand jury that Trump was trying to commit or conceal by falsifying business records? There has to be one, at least in theory. But if Bragg did not spell it out then the grand jury cannot have found probable cause of the crime charged, which is the grand jury's function. I'd like to think a prosecutor would not make so basic an error as failing to advise a grand jury of the alleged crime at issue, but if Bragg had properly instructed the grand jury, then surely the crime in question would have been explained in the indictment. It's not. Moreover, the document 
Bragg has the temerity to label his statement of facts filed with the court in tandem with the no-notice indictment is itself a work of fiction. He alleges that Trump falsified his records to conceal, quote, damaging information from the voting public during the 2016 presidential election, unquote. But every one of the 34 acts that Bragg charges as felonies happened after the 2016 election. From February through December of 2017, Bragg would like to be able to charge Trump with keeping unflattering information from the voting public. But all candidates for public office, no doubt including the progressive Democrat elected to the Manhattan District Attorney's Post, try to airbrush unfavorable information. Uh, That's electoral politics. Bragg's problem is that it is not a crime to pay to pay people for their silence. Non-disclosure arrangements are not just legal. They are, they are a staple of the civil justice system. The non-disclosure arrangements are the only relevant events in the case that occurred before the 2016 election. They're not crimes, but Bragg is hell-bent on accusing Trump of crimes, so he is left to suggest, because he cannot prove, that Trump skirted campaign finance laws. Put aside, though, that Bragg does not have the nerve to actually charge the federal crimes he is coyly intimating. To show how moronic this is, let's pretend that these hush money deals were in-kind campaign expenditures that Trump decided to regard them as such and that Trump's campaign disclosed them to the Federal Election Commission as Bragg's fantasy version of the law mandated. Even if... All that were true. The law would not have required the Trump campaign to disclose the expenditures until the next reporting period after they occurred sometime months into 2017. That is, such disclosures would not possibly have influenced the 2016 election. What a disgrace. And that is Andrew C. McCarthy, Senior Fellow at the National Review Institute a National Review contributing editor, well, easy for me to say, right, and author of the book Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. And he's author of a lot of other great books, too. Articles entitled Bragg's Indictment Even Fails as an Indictment over National Review. That is strong stuff, brother. That is some strong stuff. Now, I want to give you... I want to give you some more audio. Judge Janine Pirro. Now, I noticed on the 5 Tuesday, it wasn't a comedy show. They usually have a lot of comedy going on. But Tuesday on the 5, instead of Greg Gutfeld sitting on the right, you had Bill Hemmer. Instead of uh, Dana Perino, you had Harris Faulkner. Jesse Waters who's usually there, he was there. Janine Perro, who's usually there, she was there. Uh, Harold Ford Jr. is one of the rotating liberals. They always have a token liberal. And I was shocked. I, I told my wife when she got home, I said, I'm feeling disoriented. She's like, what's the matter? I said, I actually agree with Harold Ford Jr. on something. And she was kind of surprised. He said 
that he doesn't believe that judges and prosecutors should be elected. Because, see, the thing about this uh, Alvin Bragg, he got elected in Manhattan where Biden fans outweigh Trump fans like on a 10-to-1 basis by promising that no matter what, he was going to indict Donald Trump. Because, you know, he had to campaign, and that's what his people wanted to hear. So anyway, but that's that's a whole other show. we we got a lot to get to here. Judge Janine on the 5, Tuesday afternoon. The overall response that I have to all of this is it's less significant than I thought it would be in the first place. This is a whole lot of nothing. And, you know, defense attorneys have done that in every case I ever tried as a prosecutor, and I never thought I'd do it to an indictment myself. First of all, the indictment is insufficient on its face. What that means is that the prosecutor does not allege what the other crime is. So he's saying he falsified records with intent to commit another crime. We don't know what the other crime is, and even Alvin and Bragg, when he was asked about it, said, well, um, we had evidence this time that they didn't have last time as it related to why now. But in addition to that, we've got election law and we've got uh, text messages and emails. What are you talking about? Why not identify the crime that is giving you the ability to take a dead misdemeanor and give it new life like a phoenix rising out of the uh, out, of, out of the sand? Now, if anyone looks at this indictment, they will realize also that in addition to being insufficient on its face, it is duplicitous. And what that means is they've got, if you look at the first four counts, they all occurred on February 14th of February of uh, 2017. That means you've got the same course of conduct. They're just looking at it differently. Okay, so nobody get excited about the 34 counts. They're meaningless. And there will also be a bill of particulars. In the bill of particulars, which is required to be submitted in New York State within 15 days. It may be extended to 35 if the judge wants to do it, give the DA a break. They've got to be real clear on what the bill of particulars says because the defendant has the right to uh, prepare for trial. And this is garbage. You don't know what to prepare for on this. Boom. There you go. There you go. You know, it's like Trump keeps on saying This is a whole lot bigger than me. Sound familiar? How many times has he said, they're not really so much after me. They're trying to get to you. I'm just in the way. Well, I mean, I think she just made that case, don't you? Absolutely. Sam Faddis. F-A-D-D-I-S has an article over on Substack entitled Trump as Spartacus to crush a slave revolt, you kill the leader. He says in February, a Chinese spy balloon traveled across the United States unimpeded. Controlled from China, it maneuvered over our most sensitive nuclear launch and command and control facilities, sometimes literally doing figure eights in the sky as it sucked up data. The gear on board the balloon's sensor package allowed it to capture our military communications and likely provided the Chinese with a bonanza of intelligence on the status of our nuclear forces and our capabilities. All 
of the intelligence collected was sent in real time to Beijing. Joe Biden, the man who purports to be the President of the United States, directed that the balloon be allowed to complete its collection mission before he finally ordered it shot down. He ensured the Chinese military got everything it wanted before any action was taken. So naturally, it's now Donald Trump who's being prosecuted. His crime? To the extent anyone can decipher the charges, it appears the contention is that Trump made some sort of bookkeeping error in regard to payments to Stormy Daniels. Stormy is an ex-porn star who may or may not have slept with Trump and was paid to keep quiet and go away. Now, President Trump did say, and we'll, we'll play some audio from his response to the indictment a little bit later. He did say, I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Sam Faddis continues on the substack here. Trump is being criminally charged because he settled a nuisance lawsuit and perhaps made some sort of error in how that payment was recorded in his books. Why? Since Trump began his run for the White House, he has been subjected to endless attacks and repeated efforts to weaponize the justice system to destroy him. Charges of Russian collusion have been leveled. Charges of corruption have been trotted out. Dozens of so-called intelligence experts have appeared to support the notion that Trump is under the control of dark foreign forces. No effort has been spared to destroy Trump and to decapitate the movement that he leads. Why? This has nothing to do with mean tweets. It has nothing to do with corruption. If anyone in Washington had any interest in cleaning up politics... They would certainly start with investigating the tens of millions of dollars the Bidens have taken from the Chinese Communist Party and their extensive contacts with Chinese intelligence. And it most certainly has nothing to do with a porn star and whether or not she had an affair with Donald Trump. Trump is being targeted, again, because he represents a threat to the established political order. Trump must be destroyed because he's the leader of a vast populist movement concerned about the corrupt political structure of this country and put the people back in charge. We're told every day by the media in this country that we are a nation divided, black against white, men against women, gay against straight, etc. This is a lie. It is a deliberate lie told to keep us divided and powerless. The real battle in America today is between the American people, those who do the work, fight the wars, and pay the taxes, and a self-appointed elite that believes it is entitled to rule. Our job is to sit down, shut up, and do what we are told. Those at the top, wallowing in obscene wealth and power, and increasingly in bed with foreign interests, like the Communist Chinese Party, are divinely entitled to govern. We will maintain the outward trappings of a constitutional republic for show, but that's all it will be. All of the so-called acceptable candidates will represent the ruling order and the status quo. It may make you feel better to see your candidate win, 
It won't make any difference. They're all the same. And then he has an embedded tweet from ABC News Politics. Live expectancy in the U.S. has fallen to the lowest levels seen in 26 years, according to new federal data. He says Americans are dying younger. They are draining their savings accounts to stay alive. Most live off credit cards and don't have enough cash in the bank to fix the washing machine if it breaks. And he has an embedded tweet there from the NPR saying Americans are piling up credit card debt and it could prove to be very costly. He says, crime is out of control. Our schools are failing. Our children are awash in drugs and pornography. The nation is in despair. Here's another tweet of a video of people on some kind of a new drug that makes them look like they're zombies. And he continues, those at the top could not possibly care less. They are rich in a way no class of people has ever been before in history. They jet from nation to nation on private planes, vacation on private islands, and dream up new ways to gather even more power and wealth, all on the backs of a once free people. Trump represents the end of all that. He is a wrecking ball. He's a man who says out loud what hundreds of millions of Americans think. He might actually bring down the whole rigged system and hand control of the nation back over to the people. So, the way they look at it, Trump must be destroyed. He must be crushed. It does not matter the cost. It does not matter how many laws have to be broken or how perverted the system must become. 2,000 years ago, a man named Spartacus led a revolt by slaves in the Roman Republic. Huge numbers of people followed him in a quest for freedom. He was tracked down, cornered, and killed. To crush a slave revolt, you kill the leader. Wow. It's a guy named Sam Faddis, F-A-D-D-I-S, over at Substack. His new article which dropped less than 24 hours ago, called Trump as Spartacus to crush a slave revolt, you killed the leader. God forbid. I don't know. I don't know if you know what time it is. And I don't mean that in the literal sense. I mean, you, you, you shouldn't need a weatherman to tell you which way the wind is blowing. And if you listen to the Doc Washburn show, if you listen to conservative podcasts, then you probably don't. However, most of your neighbors don't have a clue. They, they don't know this stuff's going on. Now, today's show is all about making the case for why these charges on Trump are going to be thrown out. Now, I don't know if the judge himself will throw him out because he is a hardcore Democrat who has made donations to a lot of Democrat causes. I don't know if he's going to throw it out, if he's going to have the guts to do it. 
because it was either Turley or Dershowitz was saying the other day when Greg Jarrett was saying, well, judges don't like to be overruled. They don't like to be overturned. It was either Turley or Dershowitz who said, no, you don't get it, man. This is a New York judge. He didn't want to have to go home and explain to his wife and family that he let Donald Trump go. So don't count on this judge to throw anything out. And on appeal, who knows? Julie Kelly said months ago they're going to indict Trump and he's not going to get justice until it goes all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's what she said. And uh, the Democrat protesters will probably be violent towards Supreme Court justice. We're in a very dangerous time in our society, in our nation. I just need to, you know, explain to you what's going on because it's uh, it's just a very dangerous time for us. Now, a lot more people want to weigh in on this. Uh, the great Victor Davis Hanson is one of them. Uh, more from Mike Davis, who I've interviewed on the Doc Washburn Show. Also, Jeff Clark, who was a... Uh, Assistant Attorney General under Trump. I mean, we we have a lot of great stuff coming up for you. And a great uh, former criminal defense attorney, Leslie McAdoo Gordon. You've probably heard the other names. You may not be familiar with her name. But I have been just collecting information and quotes and audio sound bites. Uh, as as we do this show, oh right now it's eight twenty two Eastern, seven twenty two AM Central on Thursday morning. I've been up all night. Because as I was telling one of my business partners last night, Wednesday night, I said, I hope I don't have to stay up all night. But you know, when you go to putting together sound bites, audio clips writing stuff up, you don't know how long it's going to take. So anyway, that's what's going on. A lot more coming up straight ahead. Let me ask something. Are you aware? Did you realize AT&T recently lost billions of dollars on Wall Street after their satellite outfit, DirecTV, decided to delete Newsmax? So DirecTV customers no longer can get Newsmax. Look, if you want to get the word through to AT&T, if you want to drop them, or if you want to drop any of the big liberal cell phone carriers who all give a lot of money to liberal causes, I have a perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes. 
as well as multi-line users. I know I'm saving money with Patriot Mobile, that's for sure. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Now, the great Ronald Reagan once said, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. If you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals, I mean, that's something you really might want to think about at this point because it looks like the dollar is pretty much really soon no longer going to be the world reserve currency. I mean, as Tucker Carlson mentioned Wednesday night, for many, many years, since the end of World War II, uh, they'll take the dollar anywhere in the world. Uh, Now, not so much. Anyway, here are five profound benefits of investing in precious metals. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if the dollar is still a store of value. I don't think so. Last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. Do you think we have geopolitical uncertainty? Do you think the U.S. dollar is struggling? All right, listen up. We're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team of Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Michael Flynn. We're glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. bh-pm.com. If you can't remember that, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. No matter what search engine you use, it's the first thing that comes up. Make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn silver coin. Sound like hotcakes. And let them know Doc Washburn sent you. 
We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. bh-pm.com or Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. And tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Now, I've been talking about how the world's going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open, all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off, while mom and pop businesses suffered question is, what are we willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. SwitchToAmerica.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first, rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of patriot influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We are done with the woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Now an even more exciting addition is fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone, this beef is known as Never Ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering Family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to switchtoamerica.com. When they ask how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn, plug in your info, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Switchtoamerica.com. All right, I want to go to, uh, before we get back into more audio, the great Victor Davis Hansen would like a word. Here's what he said Tuesday evening on Twitter. He said, should we laugh or cry when Alvin Bragg today said he indicted Trump because he would not normalize criminal activity? This from a politicized prosecutor who systematically has normalized violent crime in New York City by not charging arrested felons or releasing violent arrested criminals without bail and whose stacked and redundant indictments of Trump have seriously and feloniously been leaked. Who will police the police? 
Do you realize the uh, the leaks of the grand jury information? The uh, so-called indictment before it was publicly released? The leaks? They're felonies. They're felonies, y'all. Not going to lie about that, fam. They are felonies. Someone needs to be held accountable for that. And like Mike Davis said earlier, um, Jim Jordan, as head of the House Judiciary Committee, he needs to subpoena Alvin Bragg. Oh, why? I mean, what do the, the state have to do with the feds? Well, Alvin Bragg's admitted they use federal money. Hello, that invites oversight. Anyway, the fascinating law professor, Jonathan Turley, was on with Brett Baer Tuesday afternoon. And they started off with District Attorney Alvin Bragg talking about the indictment of former President Trump, courtesy, again, of Special Report, Fox News. Then Brett Baer brought in George Washington law professor Jonathan Turley. Brett Baer told Turley he was anxiously awaiting for this indictment, and he started flipping through, and he said, after our talks again and again about the bootstrapping of the misdemeanor to make it a felony, looking for the underlying felony, were you looking for it too? So we'll get the answer right after we play a little 32 seconds of the odious Fat Alvin Bragg. The scheme violated New York election law, which makes it a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. The $130,000 wire payment exceeded the federal campaign contribution cap. And the false statements in AMI's books violated New York law. Mr. Trump said that he was paying Mr. Cohen for fictitious legal services in 2017 to cover up actual crime committed the prior year. All right. So that's that's Alvin Bragg. So Brett Baer, special report, Fox News. Tuesday evening, they start off with that. And then he asks Professor Turley, were you looking for the underlying felony too? Turley's response. Yeah, it's like Orient Express without the body. I mean, you, you, you're you looking for it, and it just never comes up. And the weird thing, I've never seen an indictment quite like this one. That is the key linchpin. That's how you get beyond the statute of limitations. I know a lot of judges that would have been not too pleased to receive an indictment like this would have said, you know, what the heck is this? I mean, what are you alleging? And Bragg just sort of waved it off and said, I don't have to really say but my question is, how did the grand jury understand what it was doing? We'll see a little better with the Bill of Particulars, but it really raises concerns as to how well the grand jury understood these key linchpins. Because this thing has a feeling of like a legal slurpee. It, it, it's instantly satisfying, but has no nutritional value. It, it, you, there's really nothing there. <laughs> has a feeling of a legal slurpee. So Brett Baer responded, you didn't see anything that we didn't already 
No, I mean, we were going in saying even if there are all these counts, now we know there are 34, but as far as the there there, tying it to the federal crime, you're assuming it's federal election law, right? I am. Look, the thing is, this is basically what we expected. You had people like Lanny Davis, who represents uh, Michael Cohen, saying, I'm warning you, there's going to be a lot of new crimes here, and it's going to, there's going to be a lot of new facts. Well, it wasn't. I mean, th- this was the business falsification theory that we've talked about. The only surprising thing is that Bragg seemed to have solved the question of his authority through ambiguity. He just removed any direct references to what this underlying offense was. Oh, boy. Here we go. So, Brett Baer responded, and he was asked about it in the press conference, and he essentially said, I don't have to tell you. To which Professor Turley laughed and said, yeah. Then Brett Baer continued, and he will eventually have to say in the Bill of Particulars, which is what Judge Janine had mentioned earlier. He will, and my guess is it's going to be a federal election claim. I mean, this the the state the reference to the state election law it was so general, ambiguous. I don't think that that could be the it sustained this type of action. And again, the fact that Brett Baer is as much as a straight news guy can, just slamming this thing, slamming this indictment. Brett Baer, no fan of Trump, slamming this indictment. Again, reiterates what Trump keeps on saying. This is, this is a lot bigger than me. Brett Baer responds to law professor Jonathan Turley. So are you thinking that he, talking about Alvin Bragg, the DA, is betting that this judge, because it's this big of a case, is not going to dismiss it? Here's Professor Turley. Yeah, it's like that scene in Braveheart when he says, I hope we didn't get dressed up for nothing. I mean, it's he's hoping that this judge is going to be very timid and not throw this out. But there are substantial threshold legal questions here. And this case could collapse uh, before it gets to a trial. And this is not the only judge that will have to look at this. And I think that has to weigh heavily on him because there's no there there. Now, whether he can fill in those gaps, we'll have to see. But you would think... If you were going to indict a president, you would you would rise to that moment of history and tell people with precision what it is that you want to convict him of. Yeah, you would. Uh, you would think so, but you'd be wrong in this case. Then Brett Bear coyly dropped this bombshell that hardly anyone else was talking about all day long, Tuesday on indictment day. Brett Baer said, we're obviously following a lot of different cases that are happening in a lot of different places. We'll follow it all. But on this same day, the Ninth Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals, rules attorney's fees in the amount of $121,972.56 are awarded in favor of appellee 
Donald J. Trump against appellant Stephanie Clifford, also known as Stormy Daniels. And Professor Turley responds. Yeah, we, we didn't find any evidence of what Bragg's alleging, but they may have found evidence that there is a God and he has a great sense of humor. I mean, the fact that these things would happen at the same time is absolutely otherworldly. Uh, but that is one decision that is not going to get reversed. Okay, and I apologize for Professor Turley's irreverence while noting that he may actually be giving God credit without even realizing it. Because there's, you know, there's much better evidence. Obviously, he's trying to make it a little funny. There's much better evidence evidence that there is a God. Daniel Henninger, longtime op-ed writer for the Wall Street Journal, has a new editorial that dropped Wednesday evening, entitled "The Targeting of Donald Trump," subtitled. Forget the legal niceties of his indictment. Democrats are focused on one goal, winning in 2024. And here's what he says. When New York Mayor Eric Adams heard that Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene was coming to the city for Manhattan Prosecutor Alvin Bragg's arraignment of former U.S. President Donald Trump, he said, and I quote, Control yourselves. New York City is our home, not a playground for your misplaced anger, unquote. Well, where's he been? For Manhattan's professional progressives, the indictment of Mr. Trump was just another day at the playground. Politics, as the American left's personal playpen, probably began with the Occupy movement back in 2011. Remember that? Occupy Wall Street? Who today remembers what its point was? For nearly 60 days, the Occupy Wall Street movement took over Zuccotti Park in lower Manhattan. I went down to get an idea of what it was about. It looked like a tent city for homeless but angry college students. After Mr. Trump won the 2016 presidential election, the New York left ostentatiously shut down the city's traffic during evening rush hour by marching or lying in the streets. It was, of course, beside the point that most of the people they disrupted had actually voted for Hillary Clinton themselves. Today, climate change protesters glue themselves to works of art in museums. It's getting hard to recognize anything in our politics today that doesn't qualify as what the late U.S. historian Daniel Borston called pseudo-events, staged incidents that exist to attract the fake reality of media coverage. The Alvin Bragg Trump indictment is a pseudo-event for the history books. Across the rest of the country, many in America's agog population ask, what has happened to our politics? One explanation is that the Trump faction and the Democrat left have become engaged in a relentless cycle of attack and counterattack. That makes everyone else a bystander in a melodrama of mutual destruction. Further destabilizing the system is that at least since the Trump era, the media functions primarily as a political spin accelerator that constantly rotates counterclockwise. Let's try to hold a few inconvenient truths in mind. For all the drama Tuesday, it was not Donald Trump's desire to be indicted by Alvin Bragg. 
Before this week, he looked content to spend mornings playing golf in West Palm Beach and afternoons lobbing tooth social pot shots at Ron DeSantis. But the media professes shock that he has used the Bragg indictment to raise more than $8 million in the last several days. Oh, dear. Nor did Mr. Trump create the Russia collusion hoax that consumed most of the nation's political oxygen for nearly two years of his presidency, or the impeachments. Did he raise millions off those pseudo-events? Indeed, and why not? Trump derangement syndrome is so clinical that it should be included in the next edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. But the Bragg indictment is different. Everything the critics are saying about it is true. It's a flawed interpretation of campaign finance law. It's historically unprecedented, and it smacks of political persecution. Democrats don't care. There is also this inconvenient truth for Republicans. Uh Uh-oh, well, no, here, okay. Okay, here Henninger is going into the realm of fantasy. Henninger cannot bring himself to believe that it's possible that a presidential election could possibly be stolen. It's too painful for him. So he says Mr. Trump lost his 2020 re-election because too many independent and suburban voters abandoned him. Nothing could be further from the truth. It was stolen from him. And it's a shame that a guy as bright as Henninger doesn't get it. So... That's enough about that. I'm not. I'm not reading the rest of it. I'm. I'm sorry. He. Well, no. He disqualifies himself. Yeah. You know, if you think the dementia patient got what 15 million more votes than Obama got in 08, the guy who hid in his basement, the guy who can't string together two sentences in English a lot of times, that guy. I'm sorry. I can't help you. I, I, no, no, I can't, I can't deal with that. I'm sorry. Let's go back to the audio sound bites. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Did we have, all right, where was I? Okay, yeah, we we played the last one from Turley. So now I want to I want to I got some more Mike Davis here. Mike Davis was on with John Solomon, the great John Solomon of justthenews.com has a daily show on Real America's Voice. John Solomon at Real America's Voice started off by saying speaking of profound consequences we crossed the Rubicon the last few days. Obviously, District Attorney Bragg has brought the indictment that we all got leaked in advance. We knew every bit of it before it got out there, the leaking beforehand, and then that extraordinary press conference this afternoon on the courthouse desk by District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Is there some room for a bar complaint or some action against his law license? It seems like he did something I've never seen a prosecutor do before. Here's the response from Mike Davis from the Article 3 project. 
uh, this is an abomination. What uh, Soros funded Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg is doing here. He's bringing this unprecedented indictment against a former president and potentially a future president based upon bogus uh, trumped up charges that were rejected by the Manhattan DA's office, the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's office, the uh, Federal Election Commission and Bragg himself. And then Bragg took pressure from the left uh, and brought in this top Biden Justice Department political appointee, this longtime political operative, Matthew Colangelo, and that was back in December. And then they revived this zombie case against Trump. Uh, Bragg came out and did this just shocking press conference today that was completely unethical, tried to try this case in the media against President Trump and would not even explain what the legal basis was of his indictment. He said he didn't have to, that he didn't have to have a legal basis in his indictment. So yes, Alvin Bragg should resign. He's a disgrace. He should face a bar complaint. And frankly, he may face arrest for a malicious prosecution in violation of President Trump's civil rights. This is third world banana republic Marxist hellhole level stuff that Bragg has gone to here. Indeed it is. Now, a little bit later, boy, Mike Davis, brother Mike Davis getting around. A little bit later, he was on with Jesse Waters talking about the man of the hour. Uh, apparently, Alvin Bragg is just a cutout, and, and Matt Colangelo is actually running things. And that's not unusual under the Biden regime. It's like Merrick Garland hardly knows what's going on. Lisa Monaco, deputy AG, is actually running things, you know, an old hand from the Obama administration. Anyway, Mike Davis telling Jesse Waters on Fox, over on Fox, about this Matt Colangelo guy. Back in December, he hired Matt Colangelo from the Biden Justice Department. He was a very senior senior official. He was the acting number three, the acting associate attorney general on the parach- parachute team coming in. And then he was the number two to the number three. And this guy is has been a political appointee for the Obama Justice Department under Eric Holder and Tom Perez. The Obama Labor Department under Tom Perez, who went on to be the DNC chairman. The Obama White House as a politically appointed economic advisor. As you said, he went to the New York Attorney General's office and was a, they essentially created a job for him to get Trump. And they, he went after the Trump Foundation, Trump finances, suing the Trump administration constantly. When he worked in the Biden Justice Department just recently, uh, he was the guy who helped oversee the prosecutions of Christians praying outside of abortion clinics while giving amnesty to abortion industry acti- activists, terrorizing Catholic churches, crisis pregnancy centers and Supreme Court justices and their families and their homes. This is the clear connection between Biden and Bragg to show that this is a political hit by Biden to take out Trump. There's no question about that. That's exactly what's going on. Has nothing to do with with law enforcement, with, with, with what should be the American justice system. Nothing whatsoever. Now, Joe Hoft... Joe Hoft over at the Gateway Pundit. He's got an article entitled, There's More, Alvin Bragg's Case Against Trump Shows Complete Ignorance and Manipulation of Basic Accounting. And Joe Hoft is a former international corporate executive in finance and auditing. He says the dumbest case ever just got dumber. 
The charges brought against President Trump by New York City DA Alvin Bragg make no sense. You would think that if you were going to indict a president of the United States, you'd have a case. But this case offers nothing. DA Bragg should resign. His case against Trump is shockingly weak. On Tuesday, immediately after receiving the indictment against President Trump, the Gateway Pundit analyzed the document. What stuck out was that Soros-backed Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg claims in his charges that President Trump made the accounting entries himself related to this case. The Gateway Pundit pointed out previously, this is nonsense. No CEO in the world presiding over a billion-dollar company is making entries in general ledger or cutting checks. This is total nonsense. Attorney Mike Davis concurs, labels Bragg's case as one of the dumbest cases ever. There's our buddy Mike Davis again. He's got the quote from Mike Davis when he's over on the war room with Bannon. Said, this indictment is an abomination. It's unbelievable to me. He's much dumber than I expected. I don't get stunned very often. I was stunned by watching his press conference today. It's because he's incredibly dumb, and his indictment is a complete abomination. The Gateway Pundit says, Davis points out that the crimes aren't identified in the document. Bragg says he doesn't have to list the crimes. The case lists 34 counts. These counts consist of the following accounting actions. 11 invoices. 12 vouchers, and 11 checks cut. These are the 34 charges. They're related to 11 transactions. What's the crime? And then he has a list in the order in which they're listing the indictment from the different dates. He says many of these transactions appear to be monthly recurring fees being paid perhaps as a retainer. We just don't know from the filing. We also don't know what the amounts are on these individual transactions, but most notable, The transactions are from 2017. This was when President Trump was in office and his sons were running his company. President Trump had nothing to do with these transactions. These transactions also somehow impacted the 2016 election, but they were made in 2017. And again, President Trump supposedly made and caused a false record when these entries were addressed, which is insane because no CEO of any billion-dollar enterprise is booking entries in general ledger. It just doesn't make any sense. Invoices are support for entries posted in the general ledger when invoices are received. There's no transaction posted in the general ledger when an invoice is received. The invoice is forwarded to the department that would book the entry in the general ledger based on adequate support, which includes the invoice. Bragg claims that the invoices received trigger a transaction separate from the vouchers posted in the accounting system. This is not true. Therefore, the 11 invoices received are not entries into the general ledger made by President Trump or anyone. They're documents received from the client. There's no record that is made or caused by the invoice independent of the voucher. This is truly the dumbest case in U.S. history. That's Joe Hoft over the Gateway Pundit. Article entitled, There's More, Alvin Bragg's Case Against Trump Shows Complete Ignorance and Manipulation of Basic Accounting. Now, no doubt, that's exactly what it shows. And my buddy over on Twitter, 
who calls himself Kingmaker, big if true, says Gateway Pundit makes two great points here. One, the Trump indictment makes a mess of corporate bookkeeping practices by treating the receipt of an invoice as separate as a separate bookkeeping entry. And two, Trump, having put his shares in a blind trust and while sitting in the Oval Office, either personally made 34 entries in the general ledger or directed someone else to make them, not only does the indictment fail to define the crime, but the underlying facts are implausible. That means they don't make any sense. So Trump attorney Alina Haba was on Fox with Jesse Waters talking about Bragg, and it went something like this. So he's now disgraced. He's got no reputation. Even New York lawyers are laughing at the guy. How does he pull this off? He won't. He won't pull this off. He is going to go down as a disgrace, a disgraced DA. And he's going to hurt his political, and he is politically motivated, his Democrat party. Um, and he, that's it, bottom line, period, the end. And this judge, same thing. I will say I was happy that the judge... Uh, tempered himself in court, it seemed like, and, and really was trying not to seem biased. But this is a judge that's already heard many Trump cases and somehow got another Trump case. And, and, and he's a donor, Alina. Donor, and he think, donated to Democrats, and he's overseeing the Trump case. Yeah, but that was by chance, Jesse. Come oh, on. Okay. It, was, it was by chance. They didn't chance. judge shop at all. Uh, do my tender ears detect a sudden load of sarcasm there? From Trump's attorney. Yeah, I think so. Now, former assistant U.S. Attorney General Jeff Jeff Clark had some things to say over a war room with Bannon. Jeff Clark's been on my show before. He's a great guy, um, a patriot. Here's his take. Look, I'm really angry about this, uh, Steve, because it, what's at stake really is the tearing up of the Constitution into tatters. I mean, what we're in the 235th year of the Republic, and Alvin Bragg, the, the indictment he uh, unsealed yesterday, that's what he comes up with. I mean, it's like a paper mache thing or a cut and paste job or chat GPT could have written it because it's just a collection of dates and, uh, you know, check numbers. And it's, it's the kind of thing that someone could have put together, you know, with a computer macro. It's really unbelievable. And the key problem with the, the indictment, which I think uh, Professor Dershowitz touched on uh, a little bit, is that the theory is that you take a misdemeanor about falsifying business records and then you uh, add that to some other crime and now you magically get to a felony. Okay, well, what's the other crime? They asked uh, Alvin Bragg about that yesterday. <laughs> he ridiculously says, I don't need to tell you. So we're dealing with a situation where there's a mystery crime 
And you can't have a mystery crime. It violates uh, both our Sixth Amendment and the New York Bill of Rights, Article 1, Section 6, which requires that the defendant shall be informed of the nature and the cause of the accusation. Well, how can you defend against an accusation? You don't know what its nature and cause is if he won't even tell you what other statute you're supposed to have violated together with the falsified business records so that you get to the supposed felony and so that he can add up his 34 felonies. I mean, it's, it is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen before a president, the, the first time ever in our history, was going to be charged. You would think that they would have a you know very ironclad, uh, complex, white-collar uh, indictment to bring, and instead it's like it's like cheese whiz. You know, it's like soup that runs through your hands. It, it really is uh, flabbergasting, Steve. It's a total violation of due process. There's no fair notice to President Trump as to what he's actually supposed to even be defending against. Okay, so then Bannon has a question for Jeff Clark. And, and again, I mean, if you were an assistant U.S. attorney general for a presidential administration, you're, you're a really good lawyer. You know your stuff. And Bannon, of course, realizes this. Here's Bannon's question. The committees of jurisdiction in the Capitol, in, in the House, have to take action on this. And they have to get involved in this, and they have to do it immediately. Do you agree with that, sir? Well, I hope they do, but we'll see. Here's Jeff Clark's answer. I absolutely agree with that, Steve. And look, the part of the hesitation could be, uh, you know, what Bragg has thrown up through his uh, general counsel against the inquiries that have come in from Jim Jordan. Namely, what they've said is like, look, you know, I'm I'm uh, Alvin Bragg. I'm a uh, an independent local prosecutor wielding New York power. You're in Congress. You know, you can't uh, inquire into what I'm doing with state power. That's not how our federalism system works. Well, you know, I think uh, that Alvin Bragg and his general counsel have to go back to law school because they're missing some basic points. First, uh, there's federal funding involved. And whenever there's federal funding involved, you're voluntarily tying yourself in to inquiries about how you're spending that money. Second, there's 14th Amendment power here because after the 14th Amendment, states have to observe due process and equal protection. And they're ignoring President Trump's equal protection rights. This is a complete selective prosecution. As Professor Dershowitz pointed out, it's the kind of prosecution that has never been brought before. And as I pointed out, it's never there's never been a prosecution against the president at all in our 235-year uh, history of the entire republic. And so in light of that, Congress also has a special power under the 14th Amendment, Steve, which I don't think is widely known. Under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, Congress has the power to issue new remedial legislation that explains how to fix problems with the 14th Amendment when they come up. And so Congress clearly has the power to consider legislation to fix wayward prosecutors like Alvin Bragg who are trying to intrude into the federal sphere. So Jim Jordan in in judiciary, uh, in James Comer, in oversight, and any committee of jurisdiction has clear power uh, for funding, for spending clause reasons, and for reasons of the 14th Amendment 
especially Section 5, to inquire into Alvin Bragg. The subpoena should be flying, and there's just no legal basis for him to resist that, which is why the, at the end of a letter that came in back to Jordan, there was this tentative kind of, you know, tepid thing of, oh, well, hey, uh, you know, if, if you disagree, uh, negotiate with us, and maybe we'll come to some kind of resolution. That's an indication of weakness. They know that if they really get their hand forced, that they're going to have to come in and testify and provide documents. Yeah, they do know that. So, having said all that, let me go to thefederalist.com. David Harsani, new article entitled, No One is Above the Law, Give Me a Break. And he's got a picture of Bill and Hillary. And subtitle is on exacting poetic political justice. And here's what Brother Harsani says. Lock Donald Trump up or don't lock him up, but don't tell me that no one is above the law. It's one of the most ludicrous fantasies peddled by the left. Plenty of people are above the law. James Clapper, who lied under oath to Congress about spying on the American people, is above the law. John Brennan, who lied about a domestic spying operation on Senate staffers, is above the law. Unlike Trump advisor Peter Navarro, Obama's Attorney General Eric Holder was never going to be handcuffed and thrown in prison for ignoring a congressional subpoena. He is above the law. Trump's 2016 opponent, Hillary Clinton, is also above the law. The then-Secretary of State set up a private server in her home to circumvent transparency surrounding her slush fund foundation. She sent 110 emails containing marked classified information, and 36 of those emails contained secret information. Eight of the email chains contained top-secret information. Every one of those instances was a potential felony punishable with up to 10 years in prison. We learned all of this from James Comey, then FBI director, who noted that Hillary had been, quote, extremely careless, unquote, in conducting her business. Comey did not recommend charges because he claimed the state couldn't prove Hillary Clinton's intent, even though gross negligence, not intent, was the only standard he needed. They didn't need intent to charge her. Gross negligence and extreme carelessness are synonyms. Comey concocted a new standard to protect Hillary because she is above the law. When Hillary's husband, also above the law, perjured himself under oath, Democrats argued that puritanical conservatives were only pursuing Bill because of some trumped-up charge over, quote, sex, unquote. Using that logic, Trump's campaign finance charges related to Stormy Daniels' so-called hush money are also about sex. This is different because Trump is the bogeyman, or the boogeyman, as the case may be, and everyone knows he's got to be guilty of something. The important thing is getting that mugshot. But don't worry, though. Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says, and I quote, 
everyone has a right to a trial to prove innocence, unquote. By everyone, of course, she means Republicans. And if you think this authoritarian formulation of saying you have the right to prove your innocence instead of saying you're innocent to proven guilty, if you think that authoritarian formulation is an accident, you haven't been paying attention. When Democrats were smearing Brett Kavanaugh as a gang rapist a few years back, Maisie Hirono was asked whether the then nominee deserved the same presumption of innocence as anyone else in America. After all, this wasn't about any judicial disagreement, but about alleged criminal behavior. The Hawaii senator responded, and I quote, I put his denial in the context of everything that I know about him in terms of how he approaches his cases, unquote. In other words, if you're a conservative, your politics are evil, and if your politics are evil, you're probably evil. I imagine that was the rationalization used by Kamala Harris when reading obvious fabrications about Kavanaugh into the congressional record. It's likely the rationalization of Lois Lerner or Merrick Garland, both of whom are above the law, when they weaponized government agencies against political opponents. It's almost surely the rationalization of Alvin Bragg. This is what justifies the contemporary left's increasing comfort with deploying the state to punish and destroy political enemies. For many progressives, the legal system isn't merely a tool for criminal justice, if that, but a way to exact poetic political justice. Though it should probably be mentioned that Alvin Bragg promised to use the DA's office to enact social justice, to enact social justice not any kind of impartial or neutral justice. People who don't pay for public transportation, those who trespass, those who resist arrest, those who obstruct governmental administration, or those involved in prostitution are all above the law in New York City. Despite there being perfectly sound political arguments against Trump, we have been on a, histor- uh, we have been on a hysterical journey that has taken us from accusing Trump of being a seditious actor working on the orders of an antagonistic foreign government, the most successful conspiracy theory ever spun in American politics, to indicting him uh, to indicting him on some rickety seven-year-old campaign finance violation charge. Giving a porn star hush money is an immorality, not an illegality. Our DA is now going to be in the business of indicting political opponents who put $130,000 on the wrong side of the ledger during a race that costs hundreds of millions of dollars. I look forward to this kind of justice being meted out equally. Everyone knows, of course, what's going to happen when or if Republicans return the favor. Cries of fascism, that's what. When Harry Reid blew up the judicial filibuster, it was to preserve the republic. When Republicans use that very precedent of Harry Reid's for themselves, oh, well, they're power-hungry partisans. When Democrats throw congressmen off subcommittees, they do it for democracy. When Republicans follow suit, oh, they're bigots. When a Republican governor retaliates against Disney for involving itself in educational issues, it's 1933 all over again in Germany. But when a Democrat governor 
punishes companies like Walgreens for their stand on abortion drugs, well, it's a blow against injustice. This goes on and on and on. Not that anyone cares about double standards anymore. I'm not naive, and no one is innocent in politics, but the contemporary left's utter and growing disdain for any semblance of limiting principles, the kind of abuse that helped Trump win the presidency in the first place, continues to do profound damage to the system. Trump is an easy target. The next target, I assure you, will be a Republican who is even, quote, worse than Trump, unquote. And the justifications for throwing out norms to stop them will be exactly the same. Conservatives who contend that Democrats won't like where the Trump arraignment leads are probably engaged in some wish-casting. Those who hold the upper hand in our major institutions aren't too worried about short-term threats of retribution. And anyway, progressives love Calvin Ball a so-called system of constantly shifting norms that rewards those most willing to use power. And that's the point. And that's the great David Harsani, senior editor over the Federalist.com, article entitled, No One is Above the Law, Give Me a Break. And um, I got some kind of bad news about the idea of uh, prosecutors in conservative states, pushing back by going after Biden and company. I'll share that with you here momentarily. But uh, I got a little bit more audio first that I want to get to. And this is some crazy stuff here. Now, and Lee Smith, Lee Smith is right in the middle of it. And not to mention Kim.com. But uh, let's, let's start off. Let's start off with the Kim.com. I think that's that's a safe place to start. The great Kim.com, who has 1.3 million followers over on Twitter, says Obama pulls the strings. It was Barack Obama who orchestrated the sabotage against the Trump presidency. Obama ordered the spying against Trump and his aides. All that followed, from Mike Flynn to the Russia hoax to the impeachments, was planned by Obama, Clinton, and Biden. OCB. Trump was a threat to Obama, Clinton, and Biden. If he had uncovered the corruption from China to Ukraine, they could all be in jail. Trump's so-called draining of the swamp had to be stopped. The deep state is in bed with OCB, Obama, Clinton, and Biden, and vice versa. Together they must prevent another Trump presidency or be destroyed. 
He says Trump was a fool in his first term. He did not understand how powerful the deep state forces were. Both in the Democrat and Republican Party, the deep state plays both sides. Trump appointed people who played on his enormous ego, charmed him, and then stabbed him in the back. Now Trump is even more dangerous because he finally understands the corrupt game they're playing. If Trump wins again, he would appoint people he can trust and dismantle the deep state which protected Obama, Clinton, and Biden and benefited from large-scale treachery at the expense of Americans. The Obama-Clinton-Biden indictment against Trump has corruption written all over it. Matthew Colangelo is a former deputy assistant to Obama and now leads the case against Trump in the Manhattan DA office. Not to mention the Soros donation to DA Alvin Bragg. It couldn't be more obvious. To understand how Barack Obama is running his third term in the shadows, you just have to listen to his own words. If you understand what he's saying, everything that's happening in the U.S. makes perfect sense. Why do you think you have a clown like Joe Biden posing as U.S. president? Okay? So... We got Obama asked about uh, maybe a third term, and it goes like this. Wish like you had a, second, a, a third term. Um, and I, I used to say, you know what? If, if I could make an arrangement where um, I had a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was... Doing all the talking and ceremony, I, I'd be fine with that. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna just last question. I'll take Ken. I said I'm really gonna be in trouble. And we have to do those imminently, uh, in, in, more imminently even, uh, to address the full Obama agenda of building back better. Yeah, they're all on board, but just in case. You you think it was a, a slip of the tongue. It uh, it really wasn't. Kim.com says, here's another video of Obama explaining how he's running the U.S. government in his unofficial third term. It's naive to think that Joe Biden won his election fair and square. Obama, Clinton, Biden, and the deep state will do anything to prevent another Trump presidency. Absolutely. Anything. So here's Obama again. And there are times where I, I, I do miss the, the just the mental uh, exercise of, of figuring out hard policy problems. Uh, I, I joked, somebody asked once, you know, would you have liked to have served a third term if you could have? And I say, you know, I, I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't have wanted to be out front. Uh, but if somebody had said, you can uh, sit in your uh, basement in, in your sweats and uh, there's somebody else who's playing the president with a microphone in, in uh, his or her ear and, and you can just uh, kind of give suggestions and policy, then I might have uh, enjoyed doing that. Uh, the pomp of the presidency, I don't miss. Oh, okay. He doesn't miss the pomp of the presidency. Well, I'm glad for the clarification there, Brock. 
Kim.com says, Trump and I have something in common. We have both been raided and indicted by Obama, Clinton, Biden, corruption, and we are victims of the deep state. But unlike Trump, I can see that Julian Assange and Edward Snowden are the good guys and making America great again will unfortunately come after a deep, long fall. None other than General Mike Flynn has retweeted this saying what Kim.com says. And he tags a number of people on it. And that, that is fascinating to me. Uh, D. Slopes over there on Twitter, who goes by uh, Gain of Fauci, says, very well said, Kim. I think this is one of the single most important things for people to understand right now. Like you said, Everything makes sense when you know this about Obama, but virtually nothing makes sense if you're not aware. Also, his reach goes far beyond the good old USA. All right, now, now, we want to get to Lee Smith, who is a brilliant author, wrote a couple of books about how they went after Trump. Now, uh, Jacob Siegel, senior writer at Tablet Magazine, and of course he's got a podcast too because everybody does these days. Jacob Siegel and Lee Smith did a show together. It's, it's, It's Lee's show called Over the Target, and it's on Epic TV. And I want you to hear what they said because you, you need to know these things and it's it's only 40, 44 seconds. The disinformation machinery puts in place a new form of government. It takes away sovereignty from individuals. Is that the idea? Is to socially engineer the United States? The ways in which repression and behavioral and thought control can be hidden inside of freedom and particularly how that works through bureaucracies. The transition from the United States government targeting foreign terrorists to turning around and targeting American citizens. There's something fascistic about this surveillance and censorship machinery. What is it, you know, effectively a deep state? Look, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger and a lot of other people have been trying to tell you about this over the Twitter files, okay? And so Lee Smith and Jacob Siegel are just looking for a different way to tell you. That's a little trailer, a little promo for Lee Smith's most recent episode of Over the Target, TV show he does at Epic TV says, is censorship, surveillance, and propaganda the new norm? Join Lee Smith and Jacob Siegel to to uncover the shocking truth and learn how we can fight back for our freedoms. Lee Smith says, disinformation war. Great talk with Jacob Siegel about his new tablet magazine masterpiece on the censorship, surveillance, and propaganda regime. Check it out. 
Jacob Siegel says, many thanks for having me on, Lee Smith, and for breaking the story open in your work at Tablet Mag when so many others wouldn't touch it. And then he says, you can't keep a good muckraker down. Lee Smith, writing in Tablet Magazine, at the height of the madness in February 2017, already seeing through the smoke and mirrors and describing the underlying reality with uncommon clarity. He's got a screenshot from Lee Smith's article at Tablet Mag, February 23rd, 2017, in which he says, time to use some common sense. It's not going to happen. There is no story. The narrative that Donald Trump is effectively Putin's prison wife is an information operation orchestrated by Democrat hands, many of whom served in the Obama administration, sectors of the intelligence community, and much of the American press. The purpose of the campaign is to delegitimize Trump's presidency by continuing to hit on themes drawn from the narrative that Russia hacked the election and stole it away from Hillary. The narrative is contorted because it's not journalism. It's a story that can only make sense in a profoundly corrupted public sphere, one in which, for instance, Graydon Carter is celebrated for speaking truth to power with an editor's letter critical of Trump in a magazine that has no other ontological ground in the universe except to celebrate power. That's pretty strong, brother. That right there is pretty strong. So Lee Smith responds out there on Twitter that conservative legal experts are going through the indictment shows people still don't get it. Of course the indictment is fake. Like Russiagate and all that followed were fake. It's supposed to be fake. It's information war. That's what's real. And he got, he got a response from another guy who said, in the same way that people waste time by calling it hypocrisy, it's not hypocrisy as the word is commonly understood. It's hierarchy. They want you to see that you can be punished for anything if you stray from party doctrine, while loyal apparatchiks can act with impunity. And Lee Smith said, well put. Well put. Okay. So we got that. Now, at one point during the five TV program, Tuesday afternoon, one of the people said, there are five of us sitting around this table. CNN's had seven people sitting around the table since noon today. And uh, all the legal experts on CNN are going, this is a pretty thin indictment, man. There's not much here. Remember Andy McCabe? Now, Andrew McCabe had some things to say. Uh, Before I get to that, Hans Monkey over there at Epic, the Epic Times, responded to Lee Smith saying, that conservative legal experts are going through the indictment shows people still don't get it. Of course, it's fake, like Russiagate, all that followed. 
It's supposed to be fake. It's the information war. That's what's real. Hans Monkey said the same situation is playing out over the lab leak, where Fauci acolytes are waging unrestricted information warfare by putting out brazenly fake papers about the Wuhan seafood market and so-called raccoon dogs, which honest scientists then feel compelled to have to debunk. It's all fake. To which Lee Smith responds, right, here's something obviously fake. Now waste your time proving it's not true while we move to the next operation. Yeah. That's what's going on, y'all. That's what's up. I mean, you shouldn't need a weatherman to tell you which way the wind's blowing, but sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. What I'm hearing, well, just wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't start on me yet. I wasn't ready for that yet. Steve Krakauer. Steve Krakauer, who is editor and host at Fourth Watch Media, also executive producer of the Megyn Kelly Show. He uh, had some things to say about Andrew McCabe over there on CNN regarding the Alvin Bragg indictment of Trump. Andrew McCabe said it's a disappointment. Everyone was hoping we could see more. McCabe says the justification to try these misdemeanors as felonies simply isn't there. He said it's hard to imagine convincing a jury that they should get there. So one guy who calls himself whispers of dementia responded, the guy who ran the totally unbiased effort to investigate Trump for collusion is disappointed that D.A. Bragg couldn't more convincingly twist our laws to lock up his political opponent. By the way, these are the kinds of people we have at the top of the FBI. That's troubling, y'all. Now, Trump is saying we should defund the FBI and the DOJ. Now, yeah, we should. Look, I got to share this with you. I alluded to it earlier. Um, Andrew Thomas over at uh, Substack. His substack is called Thomas Resurgence. It's a very troubling article. It's entitled, Red State Prosecutors Won't Touch Biden, Corrupt Dems. Subtitle, why? It's called survival. He says, today we will witness, and this was uh, Tuesday, indictment day. Today we will witness our gallant 45th president criminally booked and humiliated in a fashion that leaves the rule of law in tatters and the left ecstatic and hyperventilating. Let us use this teachable moment to take a good look around and ask ourselves how we ended up with the justice system befitting, in the words of President Trump, a third-world nation. The Republican leaders and conservative celebrities who were supposed to help and protect us from such growing injustice have failed. Most are armchair warriors who have not fought the vicious culture war battles and any sort of situation where they risk losing personally anything of major value. In fact, no small number have carefully prospered from their work. So when such people blithely argue that red state prosecutors should even the score with Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg 
and the Democrats by prosecuting blue state politicians such as Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and others, we must call a timeout. More than that, we must be on high alert to yet another self-serving distraction by conservative Inc. and the people in their thrall. The left, which has functional control over the legal system, will trash any such criminal cases and destroy the career of any red state prosecutor who dares bring such a case. How do we know this? First, elected conservative prosecutors who've recently brought corruption cases against major establishment politicians of either party and even given them the kid glove treatment have faced political and professional slaughter. Second, mindful of this recent history, no elected red state prosecutor in America will be courageous enough to accept willingly the economic, professional, and social consequences that such an action will require, and it's unreasonable to expect otherwise. So, next he wants to talk about popping a trial balloon. He says, after the news of the Trump indictment leaked, a number of conservative opinion leaders floated this trial balloon of red state retaliation. Ned Ryan, the founder and CEO of American Majority, urged such a response on Tucker Carlson tonight, the evening that news broke of the Trump indictment. He asked... The question I have is, are red state AGs and DAs prepared to wage this war of lawfare? And I don't want to hear, this is icky, we're better than that. Echoing these sentiments were others, such as Tom Fitton, president of Judicial Watch, who said, all bets are off. You can expect a grand jury indictments of leftist politicians like Biden, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, as surely as night follows day. You can be sure that there are prosecutors across Florida and Texas right now who are looking for a state law hook into the Biden family. And if they're not, they're not doing their jobs. So, Mr. Thomas says this is big talk, certainly. Yet what you won't find in any of this coverage is a single Red State prosecutor willing to endorse these legal theories on the record. Even more scant will be someone who actually files such a case. Such rhetoric, quite simply, comes from people who have done well from the safety of conservative commentary and activism but lack experience in fending off the legal demons that would be summoned should a Red State prosecutor follow such exhortations. In fairness to Ned Ryan... He was essentially brainstorming with Tucker Carlson right after the bombshell news broke of the Trump indictment rather than aggressively pushing such a remedy. Tom Fitton's comments egging on prosecutors into professional oblivion are harder to defend. Ned Ryan and Tom Fitton are very effective at political organizing and public records litigation, respectively. But neither has been an elected conservative prosecutor facing down these leftist giants with everything on the line. Indeed, when the leftist state bar came after me in Arizona, Judicial Watch was not exactly valiant. They filed a public records request related to the litigation and privately commiserated, but then quietly slipped away once the big guns started booming. Red state prosecutors know that in recent years, the legal system has tilted decisively in favor of the left. Should these prosecutors take up such legal arms 
they will lose their careers, face financial sanctions, and even incur a criminal investigation, just like Trump, from the Biden Justice Department. I speak with some authority on the matter. And when he says some authority, he links to an article over at uh, Red State, pardon me, not at Red State, over at UncoverDC.com, written by Rachel Alexander, January 3rd of this year, called Maricopa County Corruption, Now It's Your Problem Too. Yes, it does look like he speaks with some authority on this. But Andrew Thomas continues saying, let's set aside the issue of prosecutions for a moment. Red state prosecutors won't even enforce civil employer sanctions law, employer sanctions laws to fight illegal immigration. I'm the only prosecutor who ever did, even though these efforts helped put to flight much of Arizona's illegal immigrant population. For that matter, attorneys in Arizona are so intimidated by the legal left that MAGA politicians in the state struggle to retain qualified counsel to represent them in election litigation. They have excellent reason to be worried. Besides the precedent of what happened to me, practically every attorney who has tried to fight the electoral shenanigans in 2020 or 2022 in the Grand Canyon State has been financially sanctioned and threatened with disbarment, including Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. Red state prosecutors who sally forth with indictments of powerful blue state leaders will quickly find themselves in the gun sites of leftist state bar investigators and prosecutors, well-heeled civil rights organizations, and others bringing federal cases challenging the indictments. Eventually, these federal cases will block state or local investigations or prosecutions from moving forward on trumped-up grounds and generate sanctions against prosecutors for good measure. Expecting prosecutors to make such enormous, life-altering sacrifices is unreasonable, especially when there is no support network for those whose careers are claimed. And we've certainly not seen sacrifices of this magnitude from the people inciting such conduct from the sidelines. He says, don't believe me? Here's a trial balloon I'll float in response to the one I'm rebutting. Chris Kobach, the newly elected Attorney General of Kansas, is arguably the most prominent conservative prosecutor in America today. While in private practice, Kobach wrote the initial briefs in our first round of immigration law litigation when I was Maricopa County attorney. He's a good and brave man, and I've been delighted to see his political rise in the years since. But as courageous and smart as Chris Kobach is, I'll challenge anybody to contact his office and ask if he intends to prosecute Biden or Pelosi in response to the Trump indictment in New York. For that matter, will he even publicly pledge to open a criminal investigation? I predict he won't for at least two obvious reasons. First, his Republican predecessor in that office, conservative Kansas Attorney General Phil Klein, lost his law license merely for attempting to investigate, in manifest good faith, the abortion clinics in Kansas. A God-fearing man, just as decent and well-intentioned as Kobach, Phil Klein remains essentially disbarred because of the resulting bogus lawfare attacks. Second, Kobach already has been given a leftist shot across the bow. While Kobach was Kansas Secretary of State, 
A federal judge who didn't like his conservative work on the state's voter ID laws ordered him to undergo legal ethics training. This ridiculous humiliation, which damaged Chris Kobach's career, as was undoubtedly intended, surely left its mark on the unfairly denigrated Yale Law graduate. The legal left in Kansas has an itchy trigger finger and has shown it's not afraid to fire at will. In America today, prosecution is a one-way partisan street as surely as the justice system is two-tiered, discriminatory in both senses as against patriots and their public champions. We must learn from the decades of broken promises and distractions by the establishment and be, re- and be realistic going forward. The commentators airing these unreasonable battle plans were AWOL when the legal system was being decisively slanted against patriots in Arizona, Kansas, and nationally, focusing instead on their own pet projects. Will they now at least accept responsibility for ignoring this brewing systemic crisis while some of us were fighting it? To the point, we on the right have been misled by our own leaders for so long that we're simply out of time. We can't afford to entertain fairy tales about red state prosecutors riding to the rescue. We must focus on the long, hard, but essential work of removing corruption from our legal system. That means reforming the law schools, state bars, and court system now. That can be done at the federal and state level. That is how we eventually win. But it is not exciting. It will take time. For prosecutors, the battle will require bravery from those gutsy few willing to undertake this mission. Those who are canceled and lose their careers in the line of duty deserve public praise and tangible support, not just a private pat on the back. Meanwhile, if we continue to be distracted by such bombast and fantasies, We'll soon be seeing Biden in his second term, President Trump in prison, and the same gang of GOP politicians, commentators, and organizers offering self-serving promises to fix everything with another red wave election, this time in 2026. By then, the chains being forged for our wrists will be close to completion. Wow. That is Andrew Thomas over at his substack entitled thomasresurgence.substack.com. The article is entitled Red State Prosecutors Won't Touch Biden or Corrupt Dems. And I hate to say it, but it certainly looks like he is correct. Okay, i got to share with you now from a great criminal defense attorney, Leslie McAdoo Gordon. Some hope. She says, so in federal law, there is a statute called the Honest Services Section that makes it a felony to commit mail or wire fraud by defrauding someone of your honest services. And the feds used to charge public officials with it all the time, and even some businessmen. Well, they went too far with it, as prosecutors always do. And it ended up being the statute that federal prosecutors used every time someone did something they didn't like the looks of, basically. And so eventually, the Supreme Court, in the Skilling case in 2010, 
said that that statute, 18 U.S. Code 1346, could only be used if the so-called fraud at issue involved bribes or kickbacks. Because otherwise, the statute was unconstitutionally vague. No one had any idea what a prosecutor might later say was illegal. Vagueness is both a due process and First Amendment idea. Skilling was an executive at Enron. He was accused of defrauding the shareholders of Enron of his honest services to them. He had not been bribed or received any kickbacks, so the Supreme Court reversed his conviction under 1346. Our sense of justice recoils at these kinds of prosecutions because they are inherently unfair and don't provide notice so that people can conform their conduct to the law as opposed to guessing what a motivated prosecutor will later try to go after. So that is a great criminal defense attorney, Leslie McAdoo Gordon, with a thread over there on Twitter. Just one more reason that I strongly believe at some point these charges against Trump are going to be thrown out. You've been listening to episode 367 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempio X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. Well, that's the way it is. Thursday, April 6th, 2023.